This week, we're in a series that I really launched because I wanted to just remind us of what we're about. Uh, it's important before you hit a change in life, a shift, a move, that you kind of come back to the essence of what is it that we're about as a family, as a church, what's important to us? Because we don't want those things to get lost because we've got a different building, a different look, new volunteers, new opportunities, which are all good as long as we've anchored ourselves in who we are. Our culture, our values, every church is a little bit different. Obviously, uh, the good ones have Jesus at the center, right? That hasn't changed. It will never change. But there are some things that are so important to us as a house um, that we're driving down on. And so this week, I want to revisit Matthew chapter 16 in this series. This is my church. Jesus is saying, this is my church, church he's building. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We talked about this briefly last week and it says, and I also, this is Jesus talking, say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus, we thank you for your word today and the way that you want to speak to us. God, I thank you that it's no accident that each of us are here. Whether we're visiting for the first time or we've decided to dig into this community, Jesus, you're doing something in our life and you've promised to lead us. You've promised that if we'll listen, that we can hear you, that we can hear the creator of the universe, the one that flung the stars in the sky and spoke life into existence, wants to speak to us today. Scott, we just want to say we're listening. And Lord, we want to respond as you awaken our heart to something new. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, really quickly, can I get somebody to turn the fans off? Because white noise is getting to me. Um, so the scripture that we talked about last week, the, the context of this is they're in Caesarea Philippi, which is a really, really dark place. And we talked about that phrase on this rock. Everyone say this. This rock is really a statement that Jesus is making saying, on this, I'm going to build my church, this. And so we talked last week about there's a couple of angles that are all true on that. And last week we talked about that this rock was what meant an actual rock. This, this hard place, Caesarea Philippi was built on a giant boulder. And Jesus was saying on, on this rock, on this boulder, on this hard, in the middle of the struggle, I'm going to do something beautiful. And that's the case in your life. That's the case in our city, in our country, all around the world, even in the hard, dark places, Jesus' church thrives. In fact, the light shines brightest in the darkness. Amen. So this week, we're going to revisit that. And um, I want you to notice that, that Jesus chooses this moment to change Peter's name. Um, Jesus was connecting the dots for us. He was, he was completing a sentence about what his church is about. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so not only am I going to build my church in the middle of a struggle, not only am I going to build my church on the declaration of you're the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church on Jesus, the cornerstone, but I'm also going to build my church on 
another component to what we are about. And I love this because I love any time when we can bring clarity about what is it that we're doing here? What is this all about? It reminds me of the first time that I went deer hunting. So I'm from San Diego and we don't, Typically, we don't have fire. I mean, I don't have a firearm. I don't, I've never been hunting. I don't, like, my wife grew up in, in uh, Texas, and she grew up, like, literally going out on the ranch, and her parents and dad and brothers, they're all going pheasant hunting and hog hunting and deer hunting and elk hunting. I mean, they're all about it. But I grew up in San Diego, and I had never even shot a gun before. So I moved to Olympia, Washington, and I had an opportunity um, to, to kind of experience that a little bit. Again, Northwest, lots of land, lots of opportunities. And my buddy was like, hey, do you want to come deer hunting with me? And I went, yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome. Never shot a gun before, but sure. I mean, teach me what to do and I'm good. And I had envisioned, how many of you guys have ever been deer hunting? See, like I said, San Diego, it's not, uh, it's not a real popular thing but it's a thing other places. So I had envisioned that deer hunting was gonna be like a fun adventure. I, I was thinking we're gonna be in camouflage, we're gonna carry our gun behind us, we're gonna walk around, maybe even like hide, right? Build a fort, explore, track the deers, right? Meanwhile, doing it with somebody that I'm like connected with and with like, what a, what a fun experience. Does that sound fun to you? Like that sounds awesome. And so we drive out there and then we get packed up and then he points to the deer blind. I'm like, what's a deer blind? Well, a deer blind is a box that you sit in for hours and hours waiting that maybe a deer is gonna come by your deer blind. This is the whole thing. And so we have our hot chocolate and he goes, yeah, this is deer hunting. We're going to go sit in that random box and it's like freezing cold. We're bundled up. So we get in this little box and we're sitting there and I'm peeking over the side looking for the deer. You know, and I'm like, I'm kind of ADD. I mean, I don't sit very well for long periods of time. So I'm like, <laughs> right? And so then I start talking and he's like, shh, you can't talk. You're going to scare the deer. I'm, I'm like, what, what deer? There's no, one, there's no one here but us, you know? <laughs> He's like, just, just sit there. So an hour goes by, right? Two hours go by, three hours go by. There's no deer. It's just he and I, freezing cold, drinking hot cocoa, no talking. <laughs> Stop talking. So like five hours, no joke. And, and, and my buddy's like, yeah, this is what it is. This is deer hunting. Isn't this awesome? And I'm like, this is not awesome. Get me out of here. I'm never doing this again. So finally, so finally, I peer open over the, the blind and there's a deer. And it's like, well, like a pretty big deer. I mean, it's got like the six points or I don't know what points there are, but there was a lot of them. And it was like 50 yards and it just walked up and it, and it was like eating. And I mean, I, I had been cooped up, you guys, for six hours. And so I just, my, my impulse took over. And I stood up, because he hadn't seen it yet. I stood up and I'm like, there's a big deer! <laughs> well, let's just say the, de the deer didn't stick around. 
That was the end of our deer experience. He almost hit me over the head with the rifle. He's like, seriously? We sat here for six years, six hours. It felt like six years and nothing happened. Finally saw the deer and he ran off. And you know, it's like, I thought that this was gonna be a community building experience. Like, that's why I love golf, Dennis, right? We get to go out there and he doesn't shush me, except when he's sitting, standing over the ball, ready to hit it. Like we talk, we hang out, we fellowship. And that's what I thought this was gonna be about. Nope, six hours, you get hot cocoa and there will be no talking. I don't know if you've ever experienced something where you're like, I thought it was gonna be this, but it ended up being that. And I love moments when Jesus clarifies, this is what it's about. It's not about this. It's about that. And in this moment with, with Jesus, he's declaring something to Peter and he's sending a message to us about what this is about. This is about the formation and transformation of people. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to make my church about people. I'm going to make my church about your transformation. You are not Simon. You are Peter. And on this rock, I'm building my church. That's what this is about. We're not building performances. We're not building buildings. We're not building uh, uh, um, programs. We are building people. And it's one of our core values here at the church. And, And it sounds obvious, but unfortunately, not every church plays out this, this core value very well. There are churches that seemingly put performance above people. And I just want to say that we are driving a stake in the ground that no matter where we go, even at the Performing Arts Center, we are not a performance. It's not what we do here. We don't put, we don't put the quality of the experience above the person. We value people here. And I believe that Jesus was making a statement when he said, the introduction of the church, this is the first time you're ever gonna hear it. I had this vision, it's literally why I came. Yes, I came to die on the sins, die on the cross for your sins so you can walk in freedom and then launch this movement called the church and I'm gonna introduce it. And simultaneously, I'm going to change your name, Peter, from Simon to Peter, not because you're acting like Peter, because Peter means rock or solid and Simon means wishy-washy. You're still wishy-washy, but I want you to know, I see that in you. And that's what I'm going to build my church on. It's a place, and I wrote this down, my church, just is what Jesus is saying, my church will be a place where people will discover who they are, a, a pathway to leave Simon behind by faith and become Peter. So good. How many want to be a part of a church like that? I want you to just consider for a second who Simon is to you and who Peter is. And from day to day, you probably feel like one or the other, depending on how your day is going, depending on your week is going. But the church is a place where Jesus not only calls out Peter in you, but creates a pathway for you to walk in it. And it's very different than you think. It has very little to do with religion, has very little to do with you checking boxes. In fact, nothing to do with you checking religious boxes or behaving in a certain way because it has to do on the inside. Transformation is on the inside. Our behavior is a byproduct of inner transformation. That's why we're called Heart Church. 
Because Jesus is after your heart and he's doing something in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's doing something in you. He's doing something in me. He's doing something inside of me. And I saw it in, a li in, in the life group that I went to and I heard about it in the life groups that you went to. God is doing something in us. And the byproduct is that we will be different. We will live different. We will talk different. We will walk different. Not because we're checking boxes so that other people will accept us or we think God will accept us, but because it's an overflow of my life's being changed. And Jesus is saying that I will build my church on that. So we see uh, Jesus in this story, um, in a different story, very different, because Jesus introduces himself to Peter in a very unique way. And I want to I want to revisit that and I want to unpack it because here Jesus is talking to Peter about changing his name, but then I want to rewind the tape and go, there was a moment when when Jesus met Peter and it was this epic moment. And we're gonna see th three things that Jesus invites us to as a church and clarifies what his church is really about in regarding to building people. So we see it in Luke chapter five, verse one through six. It's a familiar passage, it says this. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of Galilee, great crowds pressed on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And in this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. You ever wonder why Jesus picked Peter? I mean, we see Jesus not only choosing Peter, but declaring something over to Peter. In Matthew 16, you're gonna be, you're gonna be Peter, not Simon. But, but in this moment, he's picking Simon. He's picking him for his work. And at the end of this story, he invites Simon to follow him, to leave his nets and to, to be fishers of men. So in this moment, he's choosing Simon. And I used to think that maybe it was because Simon had a boat. Jesus has got stuff to do. <laughs> got to get around the lake. Right, like when you were in high school, first, first one of your friends got his license, got a car, instantly the most popular person, <laughs> right? Like it's a game changer. You got wheels, you got transportation, let's go. You ever like been without a car, without transportation? Worst thing ever, right? Having to rely on somebody? Oh my gosh. So that, that's natural. Like Peter has a boat, that's a win. But then again, I can think of a lot of reasons not to choose Peter, right? Like kind of had filthy mouth, a bit impulsive. I mean, he cuts people's ear, ears off. So, I mean, that's he's got an anger issue. All right. And yet Jesus, and yet Jesus chooses, chooses him. And, you know, 
in the story, it sounds good that Jesus needed a boat, but then I realized that Jesus walks on the water. So really he didn't need a boat to stand on, on the shore for a stage. I mean, essentially that's what he was using the boat for. Hey, hey, Peter, can I use your boat for a stage? Cause, cause I want, I need to preach the gospel and, and I kind of need to, you know, get away from the shore a little bit. But then I realized that Jesus walks on the water. And so he didn't really need a boat. In fact, I think that if Jesus would have just moonwalked out onto the water, more people probably would have came and listened. I mean, that's a pretty effective preaching strategy. Let's go. So, so you wonder, again, we read these and we just accept it for face value, but let's dig in for a minute because Jesus is teaching us something. He's teaching us something about what he is about, about what he is Building. When I was in Israel, and I've told you this before, when I was in Israel, one of the things that came to, to, to me uh, as the most prominent thing that I left Israel with in terms of a teachable moment with the Holy Spirit in me is I realized that in all the time that Jesus lived, he never built anything. And if you're in Israel and if you're on a tour, you see lots of things that were built, lots of buildings that were built, lots of people that did awesome things. King Herod, he was a horrible king, but he was an amazing builder and he built some incredible things that are still standing. And I walked around Jerusalem and down like Nehemiah's wall, that part of it is still standing. And I realized, oh my gosh, there's nothing that you can go see physically that Jesus built. Not one stone, on top of another stone, nothing. There's no monument where you can go and go, they go, Jesus built this right here. Isn't that amazing? The creator of the universe, he can create things. He loves making things. He made the whole world. He made you. He did the start. There's, and he came to earth and decided, I'm not gonna build anything. Instead, he built people. <laughs> what? What am I doing with my life, right? Like this was this moment for me. I go, oh my gosh. How much time do I spend thinking that any level of an empire matters? Like anything other than investing in the lives of people matters. Nothing. So Jesus comes to Peter and he says, um, can I use your boat? Why? Well, he didn't need a boat, clearly. He just wanted it. That's, that's the way he wanted to do it. He wanted to use Peter's boat. S simple idea, simple truth, simple bedrock of this church. He wants to use your boat. Listen, he doesn't need your boat. He walks on the water. In, in fact, he created the trees that were required to make that boat. And he created the ocean that that boat floats on. He don't need the boat, but he wants it. He wants to use your boat. This is what Jesus was connecting the dots for in Matthew 6, 16. On this rock, on this rock, I'm gonna build 
my church. See, my church is not a building and it's not what I'm building. I'm building people and I build it through a choice, not out of necessity, but out of love and delight to say, come on, I would love to use your boat. And so that's the first idea is let Jesus use your boat. And for so long, um, I, I thought that I thought that he needed me. I thought that somehow I was doing God a favor. Like when I graduated high school and I felt like a call to, to serve him, I thought, okay, God, I get it. You need me, not because I'm special, but because for whatever reason, like you need a servant. You need somebody to get some stuff done here. And so I'll give you my life and I'll do you a favor, God. And then when I volunteer to serve in areas, like I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I know, like I'll do you a favor. That's, that's fine. And then, and then I realized that uh, God, God never needed anything. And he created everything. He flung the stars into existence. Um, I wrote this, Jesus didn't need Peter's boat. Peter needed Jesus in his boat. I felt impressed on my heart as I was preparing this message that, that I want to dig into something that, that is personal for us. Because it's easy in the church to feel used. And, and many of us have been around long enough to have those kinds of experiences in church. Whether it's because of a leader or, or a circumstances where you just felt like it was just them needing your service and you got burnt out and you got, felt taken advantage of. Maybe it wasn't even a church. Maybe it was in a life group or a small group or, you know, coaching or at work. But you just felt like I offered this and they, I was taken advantage of. I, I was used. I put my trust in this leader. And, and instead of caring for me and loving me, it just ended up being what I can do for them. And the moment that I can't, fulfill that or don't want to fulfill that anymore. They're just kind of like, well, then you don't mean as much to me. So in the end, it was about what you can do. And those create wounds in our lives. And then we see the church and we see opportunities to serve and get involved. And we see leaders and pastors and things through a certain light. I'm just like, I yell. So I'm going to kind of keep my distance and maybe you haven't like given up on God and given up on church, but there's this sort of just little bit of a gray cloud that floats when you start talking about diving in wholehearted. Cause it's like, I've dove in before. I was like, I don't know. It just wasn't maybe as life giving as I thought it would. And maybe, maybe there's no one to blame other than just the, how it worked out. And I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon of, of, of David, um, just bear with me here uh, if you're familiar with this story, David transporting the ark. Remember in the Old Testament, God was in a box and God transported the ark and it was literally the Holy of Holies that, that God was, was present in this box. And David was transporting it. And David got really used to this whole church experience, this whole ministry thing. And he decided he was going to move and shift and do some things and change it from like people carrying the ark to, hey, brilliant idea. I'm going to have oxen drag the cart so people don't have to be involved. And it was this great idea. But in the end, 
what ended up happening is the system failed and people got hurt. Somebody died. It's a bad day. And David got mad at God. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't know if you've ever been there. When, when you talk about God wanting to use your life and you're just like, I don't, like this didn't work out. So David's frustrated with God, frustrated with the circumstances. And he's like, I'm out. And he gives the ark to Obadidim and he does so kind of like as a punishment, like Obadidim, the box is killing people. Please don't touch it, right? Like, uh, you know, it's gonna be an issue for your kids, certainly your cat, because cat, cats like to nestle on, on warm things. And certainly the ark was warm because it's the presence of God. So like, that's the first that's gonna go. But, you know, Obadidim didn't show up anywhere on any list before this time. So he was a nobody. And, and David's like, the ark, God is misbehaving. He's in timeout. Out, and so he's going to go to Obadidim's house. And, and the Bible says that the ark stayed at Obadidim's house for three months. It's one of my favorite stories. And I, don't, I can't spend very much time on this. But, but long, long story short, Obadidim's life and household is transformed. Transformed. Because, because God in a box was in his house. And, and Obadidim didn't know enough to be bitter yet. Obadidim didn't know enough to be frustrated with God or frustrated with the leader or frustrated with the church or know he could be taken advantage of. All he knew is that the king was like, hey man, and the king probably presented it as a gift, even though David's like, dude, this guy's gonna be dead in a week. So he gives the ark and Obadidim's life transformed. The Bible says everything that Obadidim did flourished. But what's more powerful about this is what happened when David realized, you know what? Maybe I need to get back in the game. I've been away from church too long. and I've sat on the sideline too long. And maybe I need to give leaders and pastors and the church that Jesus is building, maybe I need to give it one more try. Maybe, maybe I need to make my boat available one more time just to see. And David shows up and says, I need, I need the ark back because I need to bring it into the, the, the city of David. And it, the Bible says that Obadidim over there, if you read the next like 10 chapters, what takes place for Obadidim is he goes from never being mentioned to on almost every volunteer list that you can find. I'm going to give you the gatekeeper. He learned instruments because he was like playing the harp and the, right, the trumpet and he, I need this and that, all the, all the lists. There's Obadidim, his name. And then it says that for the next seven generations, his kids and their kids and their kids were serving in the house of the Lord. Changed his life. Why? Because he didn't, he didn't know enough to put walls up. He was just like, sure, I mean, sounds awesome. Presence of the Lord, he's good. House of the Lord, I'm in. And his life changed. And I just want to pause for a minute and say to you, the church is full of broken people, including leaders. There's no perfect church. This is not one of them. I'm not a perfect leader. But if you've been hurt in church, I just want to pause for a moment 
and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the leaders that have taken advantage of you. Sorry for the circumstances that came up and swirled around you and your family wasn't taken care of, your soul wasn't taken care of. Maybe you felt neglected or abused or just cast out when you were no longer useful. And I realize that that's not everybody. I realize that not everybody has had a bad experience in church, but I know it happens. It's happened to me. And there was a time when, when, when the wound was so, so tender that I didn't know if I was gonna get back involved. And I just wanna say on behalf of all pastors, the pastors that probably had no intention of hurting you, but they did. The leaders that had no intention of hurting you, but they did. I'm sorry. Will you forgive us and realize that we're human? And that the churches that Jesus is building he decided to do it with humans. He decided to do it with David. He decided to do it with Obadiah. He decided to do it with Peter, an absolute mess. And he just said, come on, let's, let's build something together. Let's build something together. Second idea that we see in this passage is trust him with your fears and your doubts. And I'm not gonna spend a long time here, but I came up with this point because I realized that um, when Jesus came up on the shore, there was two boats and Jesus chose Peter's boat, but there's always two boats because there's always the boat next door that's so much better than your boat because we are deeply insecure about our boat. We're insecure about what things we have to offer. We're insecure about our uh, looks, our personality, our gifts. And I've talked about this before with my propensity to learn the guitar, is that we all are in a place where we're trying to keep up with the boat next door. And here's the reality. We have a simple fishing boat, but the boat next door is always the party barge. They are rocking. I mean, they're stringing LED lights back when there was no such thing as LED lights. I mean, they're cranking the music next door and you're sitting on your little fishing boat going like, Jesus, clearly you do not want my boat. Have you seen the boat next door? It's crazy. It's amazing. And yet Jesus comes and says, no, I actually want to use your life. I want to use your life. And in the middle of that, we face a wave, not only of fear and doubt based on our previous experience of hurt, but the second wave that we hit when Jesus says, I wanna come and use your boat is the insecurity about our boat. Like what could I have to offer? Anybody struggle with that? Anybody at all insecure? Hello, all of us are. It's one of the hardest things in the world to accept that the one who walks on the water would ever choose my boat. Uh, I wrote this, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it with something else. You ever, you ever have something awesome? And you're like, this is like amazing. I'm so happy with this. It happened to us, uh, it has happened lots of times, but you know, specifically with our trailer, 
um, you know, we have like a cool trailer. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it was like maybe a week after we got our trailer that I went from this is amazing to this is the smallest trailer on planet Earth. <laughs> and I'm not going to make eye contact with the family that did this to us. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? You go to, you get a new car and you're like, dude, but it's not a new car. It's like a used car. But from comparison to what you had before to what you have now, it's like, it's amazing. And you bring it home and then you go to your neighbor's house and they get, take you a ride for their, from their new car. And you're like, my car is so lame. It's brutal. Fastest way to ruin something special, right? Just compare it with somebody else. And, and, and as we talk about Jesus building this church and a pathway from you to go from Simon to Peter, you not only face that wave of, of, of reticence to get involved because of your own past experiences, but because you're just, you're looking around going, there are so many more important, talented, gifted, amazing people here. So what could I have to offer God? And I'm just telling you that like Jesus's church is built with the body of Christ and we need everybody. We need you. And Jesus, he specializes in taking people who don't seem like they have a lot to offer and blowing the doors out with their life. This is his specialty. And I love it. So quit spending all of your time trying to shine up the outside of your boat. I want to say this to you. Your, your transformation will start as Jesus changes you on the inside. And you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to do the religious thing in order for God to accept you or bring you into service. Like he sees you on the inside. Remember what he said to David? I look not as man looks. Man looks on the outside. Man looks on the outside. I look on the heart and he wants to use your life. Jesus wants to use your life. The last idea, we're going to land on this. Watch him lead you to the fish. I love this. So here Jesus is, he chooses, he chooses Peter's boat like he chooses your boat. I want to use your life. I need you to recognize that your transformation is tied to Jesus in your boat. So before we go to this point, I want you to connect the dots with the incredible work that Jesus is doing in you with you taking a step of faith like we did out on the water when we were on the water's edge when Jesus was inviting us into the water when we were at camp. There's a step of faith to say, all right, I don't feel like I have anything to offer and I'm hesitant because of my previous experience. What is this gonna look like for me? these leaders that I'm entrusting my life with, are they trustable? Because I got hurt last time. And so I'm sitting at the water's edge and God's saying, I want to use your life 
I, I want to transform your life. I want to create a pathway for you to move from Simon, who you see yourself as, and Peter, who I see yourself as. And that's the difference, by the way, between the names. Simon is who we see ourselves as. Peter is who Jesus sees us as. And he says, I want to create a pathway, but it requires this simple thing. Okay, I'm in. Amen. I've spent a lot of time here and I've created all kinds of reasons why I'm not going to make that step again. I tried that. I tried that before. I've seen other people make that step. And that's why I can't. I, I can't. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's the pathway forward. I'm, I'm willing I don't know if you've ever been cliff jumping, but cliff jumping is not fun if you don't jump. There's this moment of fun. And the moment of fun happens about six inches away from the ledge, the point of no return. Until then, you're just standing on a ledge, not fun. And you're thinking all the reasons why I shouldn't jump. And I feel like that this is a moment for all of us. And, and, and it's different for all of us of what does that look like for you to go, okay, Lord, I see you doing something in my community. I see you doing something in my kids. I see you and I hear you wanting to do something in my life. And I, and I hear you saying, it's gonna take a step of faith. Your faith isn't in me. Your faith isn't in this church. Your faith isn't, isn't in your life group leader or the person next to you. It's on the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we keep our eyes on him, Jesus is saying, come on, come on, take a step. Take a step. And I want to show you the byproduct. I want to show you the byproduct of this step. Is he leads you to the fish. So they came and filled both boats with fish so that they were about to sink. And I, and I love this picture because fish had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus's agenda that day. Jesus was on the shore and he needed a boat because he needed a stage because he wanted to preach. Now we've learned that he didn't need the boat. He just wanted the boat. He wanted to include Simon to become Peter, to become but at the end of this, Jesus says, ah, let's throw in a little boat trip as well, a little fishing trip. Hey, Simon, why don't you go back out there? Now that we've kind of done the thing and we preached and people got saved and it was amazing. Hey, Simon, why don't you go back out there and this time throw your nets on the other side in the deep end. And Peter's like, I am a fisherman. You're not, first of all. Second of all, I tried that all night, which is when you're supposed to fish not in the middle of the day. And we didn't catch anything, which means this isn't the right spot, Jesus. I'm gonna try to do you a favor so we all don't look stupid. It's not the right spot. So Peter's like trying to tell him, but he's like, nevertheless, at your word. In other words, Jesus, this is your out. This is for you to say, oh, you're right, Peter. I was just kidding about that. I was testing you. And he's like, no, I actually want you to do this. I love this. 
And we see what happens. The net was bursting, bursting, bursting. And those fish had nothing to do with what Jesus wanted or needed. Those fish had to do with what was important to Peter. So what I'm saying to you, what Jesus is saying to you is that when we decide, okay, Lord, I'm gonna take this step of faith, Jesus not only meets you with the security and with safety and with opportunity, but he blesses your life to overflowing. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about your soul bursting with hope and goodness. I'm talking about your family and your kids. I'm talking about the things that really matter to you, that matter on the inside. Jesus is like, listen, I know where the fish are. I created them and I actually tell them where to swim. So go throw your net over there because I know what's important to you. I know what matters to you. And we live in this finite world. Listen, we live in this finite world where this is the only things that we get. This is the only space that we have. And we live like we got to guard it, don't we? We live like we have to guard our fortress because no one else is gonna, that's what our world teaches us. No one else is gonna guard it for you. You better guard it. So our finite resources, our finite faith, our finite security, it's all like guard it, keep it, watch over it because no one else is looking out for you. And that leader that hurts you, they just proved that. They're not looking out for you. You look out for you. They're not doing that. They're looking out for theirs. So you look out for yours. God wants to do a new thing in your life. And I just feel like the Lord is taking a sledgehammer to those places in your life where you've been held back by this stuff. It's the garbage of the world. It's how the world thinks. And the enemy has used it in your life to keep you from the abundance that he has from immeasurably more. He has more for you. He has more for you. And you can't get you there. And so here we are, church, on the water's edge. And God's saying, come on, take that step. Let me use your life. Quit, quit living out of fear. Quit making decisions out of fear and hesitancy. And you're so calculated and it's just like, well, I don't know. And then you try to take one half step and the enemy's right there. And he's like, no, you can't, you gotta live in this. You gotta live right here. I'm not gonna let you out of the, the barrier that we've created. And so you better be guarded and you better watch your stuff. You better not let them take advantage of you. That's the enemy. 
And the, end, and, and the Lord just wants to take a sledgehammer to that whole thing and say, come on, I've, I've created a broad place for you to live. Come on, don't live in fear. I've paved the way for you to walk in freedom. And I want us to be like Obed-Edom. I want us to be so naive. Like, sure, you can bring the ark into my house. I don't know enough to know it's killing people. I don't know enough to create barriers around it. I just put it in my house. And then every morning I find myself kneeling up against it and worshiping because I can't help myself because that's what we're doing here. And so Father God, right now we come to you, Jesus, and we hear you saying that it's this, this rock that I'm gonna build my church. That's what we're doing. God has heart church, no matter where we find ourselves, we're gonna respond to the building of people to the invitation to step out of our comfort zone and out of our hurt and out of our fears to become Peter. Jesus, we hear you asking, come on, I wanna use your boat. I wanna use your life. I wanna use your scars. I wanna, I wanna use your past. I wanna use your gifts and your personality. I love you, I've created you. Come on, let's do this together. And then finally, as you take this step, just know that I know the things that are important to you. I know the desires of your heart. I know where the fish are. Trust me. Trust me with your resources. Trust me with your fears and doubts. Trust me with your past hurts. Trust me with your hopes and dreams. Come on, I've got you exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is what he is doing. And so we say yes to that. In Jesus' name, amen.